0: Church podcast. New City is a church in Bath, Maine that exists to make disciples, develop leaders, and plant churches that multiply. This week, Pastor Joel Littlefield is preaching a message from Matthew chapter 7 verses 12 through 14, and the message is called The Broad and the Narrow, Which Way Will You Go? We hope you are blessed by the message today. Welcome back everybody good to have another chance to be in his word, and so I pray that God's word would wash over us today, each of us, and um, whatever we find ourselves in the midst of, whatever trial or struggle, maybe there's specific things you've been praying for, asking God for, maybe you've really been struggling in the flesh this week. What I mean by that is your sinful nature has been warring against the part of you that wants to follow God. Um, What we need today is surrender. We need to surrender to his lordship. And so the title of the message today is The Broad and the Narrow, Which Way Will You Go? It is, it kind of sounds fairly evangelistic. We do recognize in the church that the primary audience in, in the church on a Sunday morning is going to be believers. That's the way it's supposed to be. It's God's people meeting together. But we also know that in the midst of a gathering of believers, there are often people who uh, fall on one side of that or the other, where we just don't know where somebody's eternal soul is now or if they're in Christ. And so this is evangelistic because this is the text we're following on and we go through books of the Bible, so we're not going to skip it. Um, We're going to take it head on. And I'm really hopeful and asking the Lord that if there are people in our midst this morning that are not following Jesus and you determine by God's grace, God points out that you are on the wrong road, that by his mercy and grace you would choose Christ today and begin to follow him for the rest of your life. That's my prayer. And So church body, however the Lord speaks to you as as you are a believer and you're looking at this text, well, I'm a believer and as I studied the text, it was convicting to me. There's no reason why as believers this text should not uh, be a very clear conviction to us as well. So, Let's, uh, we're going to dive in, and uh, let me just give a little bit of a, an intro, a background. This is the Sermon on the Mount, those of you who are just joining us, and you haven't been with us uh, for the last several Sundays. This part of the sermon, and again, it's a sermon that Jesus preached from Matthew 5 to now, it's going to end at the end of Matthew chapter 7, which will end in a few weeks. But this is part of the sermon, this part of the sermon on the Mount begins, I believe, Christ's closing remarks to his sermon. He's starting to really wrap up all that he's been saying and he brings it to a close. The main body of the teaching can be summarized in verse 12. When I say the main body of the teaching, I believe the main body of the sermon on the mount as Jesus brings the sermon to a close can be summarized in Matthew seven twelve. perhaps other places as well, but this is what he says. So, so, whatever you wish, that others would do to you do also to them for this is the law and the prophets he summarizes with a with a statement that could summarize all that he's just taught us the beatitudes how to treat others how we judge others how we see others with the log in our eye or the speck in other people's eyes adultery and murder and hate these things that he's addressed all of these things can be wrapped up in this. Who knows what this is called? Anybody know what this is called? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. What is that called? It's the golden rule. Everybody knows this, even some outside of the church, many outside of the church, a lot of secular societies and peoples and even organizations will take upon them this rule. It's the golden rule. This overarching principle of treating others how you yourself would desire to be treated. And it's not new to the teachings of Jesus. In fact, even before Jesus came on the scene, this teaching was prevalent. It's not even isolated only to to Christianity. Others also adopt this sort of principle. Nearly all world religions, including New Age religions, even those involved with Wiccan and witch practices have a similar body of teaching found in their doctrine. Did you know this? You can find this nearly in every religion. Treat others as you would want to be treated. There's an interesting drama that existed before Jesus was even on the scene. In Jewish history, there were these two famous rabbis. Perhaps you've heard of them. These guys disagreed on just about everything that they taught concerning the law. Both were teaching in Jerusalem at about 70 B.C., The story goes that a stranger came to town one day and asked Rabbi Shammai to explain the entire teaching of the Torah while he stood on one foot. While the guy stood on one foot, not while the rabbi stood on one foot. He said, can you explain the whole teaching of the Torah while I stand on one foot? Shammai said, it's impossible, and he sent him away. The guy goes to Rabbi Hillel with the same question, and Rabbi Hillel famously said these words, before Jesus was ever here, that which is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow. That is the whole Torah. The rest is commentary. Now go and learn. Before Jesus ever taught this, these men were looking at the Torah, the law, and Rabbi Hillel rightly summarized it similarly to how Jesus does. Hillel was saying that when you condense the law of God down to its most basic essence, when you condense scripture down to its most basic essence, that is what you get. Do not do to others what you would hate them doing to to you. Now that was what Hillel said. Jesus, what you'll notice, says it in the positive form. So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. So you can see it in the, the negative. Don't do to others what you wouldn't want them to do or do to others what you would want them to do to you. And that's the form that Jesus just shared it. Leviticus nineteen eighteen says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. It's the Levitical law. So as we've studied the Sermon on the Mount, we're finding that it really does matter to Jesus how we treat other people. Don't you guys see that? You see that, right? It matters how we treat other people. What we say to other people, how we love them or if we hate them, that that matters deeply to Christ. Why do we need a savior? Why do we need a savior at all? Because we've sinned against God, breaking that first and foremost law to love him supremely. And we've sinned against our fellow man. That's why we need a savior. We've broken not only that second law of how to treat your neighbor, but the first and foremost law, which is love God first and supremely. We need a savior. We need Christ. What is God's word saying to us? Love each other like this. Love each other the way Jesus wants us to love each other. That's the law. It's all summarized there. Treat others how you'd want them to treat you. Don't do to them what you wouldn't want them to do to you. But that's not enough to just do that. We need a Savior. Because we've also broken that first law, that first commandment of putting God first. It's also the prophets. He summarized it that it is the law and the prophets. Essentially, this is the summation of it all. Love, love others. Spurgeon said, oh, that all men acted on it and there would be no slavery, no war, no swearing, no striking, no lying, no robbing, but all would be justice and love. What a kingdom is this which has such a law. If we would just obey that law. Is there anybody who doesn't see this golden rule as good? You'd be surprised. Some may not see this as good. There's a quote from an article. It's very interesting, so I thought I would would share it with you. It's from 2022 from Harvard Business Review. It's the quote says, "It's time to adopt a new golden rule: treat others as they would like to be treated." It's a small change, but one that can make a huge difference. All it takes is to put this new mindset into practice is understanding, curiosity and compromise. It's the new golden rule. Treat others as they would like to be treated. You guys you get the difference, right? Please remember that we are in a battle. Not against flesh and blood but against darkness And evil principalities. And what has Satan been doing from the very beginning? He has challenged, distorted, questioned, and lied about the truth of God to humanity. This is his MO. It's what he does. He's a liar and a deceiver. So whether it's Harvard who's lying to you, some business magazine, some friend, are any other world religion presenting itself as light and truth? Remember one thing: truth is not relative. Truth, or excuse me, truth is not subjective. It is also not relative. Truth itself is an objective thing that cannot be changed. And so when Harvard Business comes along and says, "We need a new golden rule, treat others as they'd like to be treated, you can reject it. And you must. It's a relativistic society. How do you want to be treated? Whether it's sinful or not against God, just let me know. I'll treat you that way. Later in Matthew, Jesus teaches this similar principle again. Matthew twenty two thirty six to forty. Somebody comes to Jesus, teacher. Which is the greatest commandment in the law? asks him. What is the greatest commandment in all of the law? Jesus says in verse 37, he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This is the perfect standard. A law of love for others that is guided and directed by a supreme love for God. You can't get that out of order. If you say, well, I do a good job loving people, isn't that good enough? Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Because it's the second that images the first. The second is like the first. Love your neighbor how? With God's love. Without God's love, you cannot love your neighbor the way he wants you to. Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? This is what scripture teaches us in summary. But how can one come to love God supremely and love others not as they deserve or as they desire, but as righteousness and truth requires us? How can somebody come to that place of really living out this golden rule love others, do to others as you'd want them to do to you? How do you do that in a way that ultimately gives glory to God? Where you, in, with your life, you give glory to God. And there's only one way, and that is through Jesus Christ. That's the point that Jesus begins to make as he unfolds this final piece of his sermon. So Jesus takes the next four sections of Matthew 7 in his sermon to explain that this life of love for others and for God is not equally embraced by all. This life, this golden rule, though some claim to obey it and live it out, not all embrace it equally or the same way. There are some who are on the right path and some who are are not. That's verse 13 to 14. There are those who want want you to believe that they're on the path, but they're not. So they deceive with words that sound like those who are the true believers. That's verses 15 to 20, the wolves in sheep's clothing. There are those who are self-deceived and they think they are on the path by their many great works. Those are the ones that go to him and he says, depart from me, I never knew you. And there are those, finally, there's this question, what is wise and good? For those who hear God's word, what should they do with God's word when they hear it? And that's the one whose house is built on the sand or on the rock. So you can see these next four sections really sum up this life of love, this true gospel-inspired life of loving others the way Christ loves you. And there's only one way onto that lifestyle or into that road. There's only one way. So Jesus tells us it's through him. All of these sections come with a strong warning attached. Number one, the way is easy that leads to destruction. In the second section, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The third section, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And then finally, the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was its fall. Every example, every example comes with destruction as a warning. Destruction and death and hardship, ultimate hardship, ultimate difficulty to a degree that no human being can bear. Judgment is what it's talking about. Today we're just focusing on that first section. I thought I could get to, but I can't. I tried. We're only going to cover that first section. So we just got three verses today to cover. The golden rule is the rule and way of Jesus the king. Remember that. That's the golden rule. It's not a made-up man's thing. It's God's thing. It's Christ's rule. It's His way. It's the way of Jesus the King. Those who walk in this way have a specific way of entry. There's a specific door. There's a way to get in to that way. And here we're talking about the doctrine of the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. There is a doctrine that is such in Scripture that needs to be embraced. It is only through Jesus. There's no other way. And that is exclusive. Only those who follow Jesus get in. Only those who follow Jesus are forgiven. Only those who follow Jesus will not be judged by the Father because Christ took that judgment upon himself. It's only through Jesus. This way of love and treating others as they want them to treat you is not heaven that in itself is not the way to heaven that's often the confusion but but i already love people i already do good see that's not enough the 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 gate the, the road the way into that gate that's what matters have you entered by the narrow gate so he presents two gates and two ways in this section that we're looking at two gates Two pathways, wide and narrow. Notice some important details about the two ways. Gate number one, glance down at your Bibles and look and see. These are the things that we notice. A wide entry point, easy going, and many people on gate number one. Gate number two, narrow entry point, hard and difficult path, few who find it and enter in clear distinctions between the two ways. So I want to just observe a few things about each one. What's the more attractive point of entry at first glance? To your flesh, to your mind, to you as a human being, what's the more attractive, if you were to come across two gates exactly as described, which way would you likely choose? The wide gate allows one to enter in without shedding a single weight or want from their person. It's wide enough for you and everything that you have with you. You wouldn't have to sacrifice anything. Whatever sins a person holds onto can be carried without hindrance onto the broad road through that gate. The gate is wide and is one with many roads and paths. Interesting thing about the wide pathway and the wide gate, there's enough room so that you can be on one path, your friends can be on a different path altogether, and there's no conflict. It's wide enough for many roads. On this road exists the Muslims, the Buddhists, the Hindus, the Mormons, the JWs, along with all the atheists and the God-haters, the murderers, the adulterers. And they're all walking the path. And how are they walking it? Harmoniously tolerating one another. It's wide enough for everybody. They all oppose each other. Not one of them agrees on the truth, but they are all on the same broad road. No one gets in each other's way. All are happy on the broad and easy way. It's easy. He says that it's easy. Not because those on this road don't have problems or struggles. That's not what it means by the easy way and the broad road. Not that you don't have common human struggles. So please don't hear me wrong. If I say to you, you need to be on the road with difficulty, you might say, well, I already have difficulty. It gets more difficult. It gets way more difficult. And the ease that Jesus is warning or telling us about, it's not saying... It's easy on this road because you don't have the struggles of life. But on the road that is wide and broad, there is no need for repentance of sin. On this road, you carry the common burdens of a fallen world like everybody else does, and you keep your sin as well. You keep your sin and you keep all the guilt and the shame. you keep all of it. No repentance, no rules, no accountability. That's easy. All the pleasures and gratifications one could want and all in the company of the masses. Everybody around you cheering you on. This is fine, you're okay. We're all doing the same thing. We're all enjoying life together. On the broad road, there are many. As you approach this gate and road, those who enter by it are many. The crowd is there. You'll have great company there. On this road that is broad and wide, With a broad entry point, there's many people to join you. But with all this great company and ease and pleasure, there's a major, major problem. You cannot see from the entry. You cannot see the destination from the entry. You cannot see where the road is leading. Otherwise, truly nobody would go. All you see is the broad road and the wide gate And how everybody's there with you, and you can keep your sin. You don't have to shed anything. You can just go in. Jesus said, and I want you to just picture him as he's thinking about this, and he's that road leads to destruction. Which one? That one. The broad road, the wide road, the easy one, the one with all the people, the one with the masses of people. Now, this is a word in the original language that is not unclear. This word for destruction, it means to perish, to utterly destroy, or to be ruined. It is the misery of hell that Jesus is speaking of. To go that road is to go the road that ends in the misery of hell and destruction. Jesus, the Savior of the world, Jesus, the the God, man, the King, says that's the way that leads to destruction. Before I speak of the next entry in the pathway, because this sermon does get better and much brighter, I want to be sure it's quite clear what Jesus is saying and, and why he's saying it. As he stands before his disciples as the king and teaches them about the kingdom of heaven, he's more concerned about their souls than their bodies. He's concerned about the souls of people, he's more concerned about their souls than that they not be offended by his words. Do you notice that? He's far more concerned that they know the truth about their soul's destination than, where, than what their body is and, or, or that they're offended by his words. And I think we need to be more, far more in tune to how Jesus talks about the kingdom and the seriousness of the nature of spiritual life so that we don't get caught up in just not wanting to offend people with the gospel. It is an offensive message. Now, he's not ungracious or unloving to them. Do you guys catch any ungraciousness as he's telling them the truth? No, he's very loving and truthful. He's not ungracious to the disciples or to the large crowd that has gathered to listen, no doubt, but he's far more concerned about their souls. Look at verse 13. He simply says this at the turn after mentioning the narrow or the broad gate few little explanations about it. He says this in verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate. That's the instruction from the Lord Jesus. Go in where it's narrow. That's the way. Nobody argues with the exclusivity or narrow-mindedness when a fishing shop doesn't sell pizza. Nobody argues with exclusivity in these other examples when the sign at the park says the bathroom's that way and you're just like, "Uh uh-uh, I want more ways to the bathroom. No, it's just that way. Nobody argues with exclusivity when somebody says you may only bungee jump with a bungee cord. That's how you bungee jump. It's exclusivity. It's narrow-mindedness. There's only one way to do this. We say it all the time. It's it's everywhere in our world. Narrow-mindedness, exclusivity. Exclusivity is not the problem. Do you guys know what the problem is? Narrow-mindedness is not the problem. The problem is sin. Sin is the problem. It's the sin of humanity. It's the sin in your heart, in my heart, it's the sin, more specifically, in the heart of the one who will not go the narrow way. How can we know this for sure? How can we know for sure that this is a sin problem? It's not just Jesus being narrow-minded. He actually had, a, he had far more ways that he could have shared with us. He just didn't want to. He's kind of, he's, he's, just, he's just being difficult. He's just being offensive. It's the only explanation for why masses of people would follow an easy road that leads to destruction. It's blindness characterizes lost sheep. Until Christ comes to a person with his word, shines light on the door saying, come this way, that way is destruction. Why would masses of people head to destruction? Blindness, sin, depravity, brokenness, inability. Cannot save themselves, cannot see, need a miraculous intervention, need God's spirit. Need God to save them. He is so kind here to point out the two ways. One way leads to life. One way leads to destruction. Not only does Jesus warn of destruction, but look look what else he does. I want to turn your attention to John chapter 10 because we see all through Scripture this very same description of the way of righteousness and the way of life. In John 10 verses 9 to 11, Jesus says, Very plainly, I am the door. Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief, he comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. What else does Jesus do? More than just point out the way? Jesus is the door. And Jesus is the shepherd, and Jesus lays his life down for the sheep. Jesus dies, suffers, lays his life down as a sacrifice so that those lost sheep can get on the right way, can be on his path. Jesus is a good shepherd. He does not abuse the sheep, he does not hurt the sheep. He lays his life down for the sheep. So, as you stand at that entry point, or you stand, you look at the gate, and you say that, well, the gate is narrow. But yeah, but the gate is Jesus. And Jesus is good. And so we turn to that gate that Jesus shows us. And now we look, we begin to see that the gate is Christ. When he says, enter through the narrow gate, he's saying, enter through me. He is that gate. And there's something quite different about this gate compared to the broad entrance. First thing we see is narrowness. It's narrow, uncomfortable, inconvenient. There isn't all that room that the other gate had. When you enter through, you enter through Jesus, you must shed a few things. That is at the entry point of following Christ. But thankfully, you don't need the weight that you're carrying any longer when you're on that path. You don't need it. You don't need the sin. You don't need the guilt, the shame. You don't need any of that. Christ carries it. He takes it. He deals with it. He crucifies it. He buries it. It's gone. The weight that we want to take on the broad road, Jesus takes it from us at the entry point into that narrow path. The weight of guilt and shame, it's a weight of fear and dread and you don't even have the ability to lift the burden from your back yourself. You can't even do that. So just think about that. At your point of salvation, my brothers and sisters, think about, will you all remember the lifting of the burden that came off of your back. Maybe at some point you realized that maybe it was later after your conversion, you started reflecting on the grace of God. Wait a minute. I don't have that burden anymore. I'm free in Christ. I am free indeed. I have been set free by Jesus. That's a kind work that the Holy Spirit does for those that he's saving. What else is different about the gate? Jesus says that the way is hard. Wow. He just comes right out and says it in the pamphlet for the way to heaven. This is going to really be bad. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. We wouldn't choose that way, would we? In our natural man? Two, two brochures, two destinations, two destinations. Which one's going to be difficult? Which one's going to be easy? That's the true gospel. That's how we know the gospel is true. That's how we know that Jesus is telling the truth. Because he's just not, trying to, he's not just trying to please man. He's saying the truth even though it's hard. The other gate promised ease and required no sacrifice to enter in. This one is narrow, hard to enter through. And as you look out over the path, you can see that it's fraught with dangers and toils. You look beyond, and you can see that it's narrow and it's difficult. That's what has to be said to the one who's coming to Jesus. It must be said. It must be clear that to come to Jesus is not to choose the easy way, but it is to choose the way of life. Acts 14, 21 to 22, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. That's the way of the Christian life. That's the way of following Jesus. These tribulations can vary. Many of you have experienced these things. If you've not followed Christ yet, this is what you are coming to. And I'm okay with sharing this because this is what Jesus says. It could be hatred for carrying his name, it could be persecution for loving the Savior that the world hates, it could be attack from spiritual forces of darkness that eternally oppose God and truth and light. But more often, and this is probably more common to all of us, I have found that the hardship is not in what comes from the outside, but from what's actually in my own heart. The remaining sin in my flesh is not what we deal with most often on a daily basis. The thing that actually trips you up and troubles you is yourself. You, your sin, your struggle, your unbelief and faithlessness at times through the day. Through the narrow gate and onto the path is where Christians battle against their flesh and they war against sin. That's difficult. It's a hard road. Remember, at the wide gate, you could just take it right with you. You didn't have to shed it. You didn't have to fight against it. You don't have to repent of it. You just carry it with you. You keep on doing what you want to do. On the narrow road, you have to fight against it. Jesus takes it, He forgives it, but we have this remaining sin. We need to be sanctified. It's a long road. It's a long road. From within are all manner of evil, and only Jesus Christ and the blood of his cross can aid us in that fight. So Galatians 5.19 tells us what these works look like, these things that remain in us. Now the works of the flesh, they are evident. Think about these things. Do you fight against these things, brothers and sisters? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, Dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And we go, well, well, I'm a Christian. Well, even Christians deal with the flesh. It should be evidence to you of, of your great need for Jesus every single day, dear brothers and sisters. You may be on the road to life, but isn't it difficult? Are you not entering in through much tribulation or have you let down your guard? Are you not battling? You need to battle. You need to keep fighting. It's still a difficult road. Let me just point out one final difference before addressing the destination which Jesus tells us. There are seemingly few who find this path, few who desire the narrow path, few who love it, few who take it, Everyone who walks the path of righteousness through faith in Jesus finds that at some point, at some point, there are a great deal of friends and family and neighbors and co-workers who are just not going with you. They're not coming along. They're not agreeing with you. They don't want this Jesus that you have, and you have to deal with that as a follower of Christ, don't you? They're not coming. They're not with me yet. It's just me. How many of you have ever felt alone in your family? heritage and your history. I'm the only Christian ever in three generations or whatever it is that your story is. Or maybe you're at your work and there's 5,000 employees and you're one of 20 Christians. You ever feel alone? That's the road of life. Jesus said this is what it's going to look like. Take comfort. Brothers and sisters, this is still the road of life. But he is telling us there's few that seem to find it. Brothers, it's comparatively a path that few take. And comparatively, as we look around and we just see what life looks like, not many people are running after Jesus. So why would anyone in their right mind with those two paths take this path? Why? And one answer rules over all of them. And I I just want to overarch all of this with this. It is the grace of God. Why anyone would choose that path, why you and I and those who have chosen that path would choose that, it's only the grace of God. By grace, God opens the eyes of the blind to see the joy of salvation on the narrow path. By God's grace. By grace, sinners can shed their burden of shame and guilt and walk onto the difficult path fully alive and free on the difficult path because of God's grace. By grace, we get Jesus who took also himself a lonely and difficult path of obedience, obedience to the point of death. He himself rejected by many, forsaken by the Father, beaten and bloodied and hanged on a cross to open up for sinners the one and only way to eternal life. By his grace. It's through Jesus. He simply presents two paths. There's no arguments here. One leads to life. The other leads to destruction. One has Jesus. The other has temporary pleasures that lead to death. Can I just tell you the difficult one is the right one? The easy one is the wrong one. Do you see that in scripture? Do you see it plainly for us? There's a narrow way, it's difficult, it's the right one. There's a broad way, it's easy, it's the wrong one. These are from the words of Christ. This is clear. And what's the point? Guys, we're all in this picture somewhere. Either walking on the good path because we've entered through Jesus, or we're heading for destruction because you love your sin and deny the Savior who loves you and died for you. One or the other. How is this ap- applicable to Christians? Well, this should jar our, our memories a little bit. Wake us up to the reality of spiritual life. Are we actually walking this road? Christian brother or sister, you think about this for a moment. Just evaluate. What does it look like for you to walk on the narrow path today? Just think about that. Your life, your circumstance, Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Maybe there's areas you need to repent of and deny because your life, though you claim to be in Christ, you may still try to switch lanes every once in a while to have it a little bit easier. So you might try the golden rule your whole life, and treat others with with great respect. What happens if that's what you do? Let's say you take that path. I'm going to just try to love people. You've heard that before? I'm going to just do the best I can. I'm going to just try to love people. I'm going to just try to treat them with respect, and, and I think I'll turn out all right. That is not what Jesus just said. That is not what he said. That's a complete ignorance of what Jesus actually just said. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You remember when he said that in the Sermon on the Mount? Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And he was pointing them to the most outwardly righteous people represented in Jerusalem that day. You have to do more obedience, more sacrifice. If you plan on having your own righteousness that gets you into heaven, you need to do better than these guys. What were they thinking? We can't do that, Jesus. That's the whole point. You can't just live a life of righteousness, accumulate for yourself all this love and respect for other people, and expect to get in. Take the narrow gate. Christians, brothers and sisters, reflect on what that actually means for us to be on the narrow way. Trust in Christ. Today, if that is your need, if you find that to be the greatest need of your life today, trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, be his disciple. Take others with you into that narrow gate. That becomes our mission and our purpose to bring as many as we can through that narrow gate. It's going to be awkward at times because that means you're going to have to take this message and tell other people, Not, hey, follow Jesus with me. Life is just going to be great if you did that. No, this path is difficult. But this path also leads to eternal life. This path is the one that Jesus instructs us to take. And we need to embrace the pain and the difficulty of the path of life because at the end is something to which nothing in this life can compare. At the end of this life, when all is wrapped up, and I don't want to just, I don't want to say there are no blessings here. We live blessings. There are blessings. There's purpose. There's joy to be had in this life that God has made for us. And Christians get to enjoy that better than anybody else can. Why? Because we see the one who made it and we give glory to the one who made it for us. Some of you might be familiar with the book called Pilgrim's Progress. As I'm Studying this this week, many times my mind was drawn to the story of that book. It's the story of a pilgrim who left his the city of destruction and headed out on a pathway towards the celestial city. His name is Christian, and on his pathway he meets many people along the way, and he comes into many adversities. He meets an evangelist, he meets a goodwiller, he meets all sorts of people, and it represents the Christian life. But at one point, John Bunyan. Talks about this path of difficulty. So I wanted to end by just reading this to you and letting it sit. Letting, letting it sit on you for just a moment. It says, I beheld then that they all went on till they came to the foot of the hill, which is called difficulty, at the bottom of which was a spring. There were also in the same place two other ways beside that which came straight from the gate. One turned to the left hand and the other to the right at the bottom of the hill. But the narrow way, it lay straight up the hill. And the name of the going up the side of the hill is called difficulty. Christian now went to the spring and drank thereof to refresh himself and then began to go up the hill. The hill Represents your life, brothers and sisters. The way up the path is difficult. There are other pathways, and you'll find in this book there are other pathways that lead to destruction. Christian stood at the bottom of this hill and he took the difficult path. There were gates to the left and to the right, but the narrow way led straight up the hill. Reflect on this, brothers and sisters. And if you're in this room today and you have not entered in the narrow gate, which is Jesus Christ, you've not professed the name of Jesus as King and Lord, Turn to him for the forgiveness of your sins, entering in that difficult place, but at that place you see Jesus, you meet Jesus. Jesus Christ says to you, come in, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And through me you get to the Father. The road is going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. Not everybody's going to go with you. But I am with you. And he will get us to that celestial city, brothers and sisters. He will persevere through us. But I beg you, I plead with you, if you've not received Christ, believed in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, for eternal life, do that today. And you can tell this is not the greatest sales pitch. Why? Because I'm telling you all the bad, the bad things about it. It's the hard way. But the end at the end is eternal life. And it's granted to you now in this life. And you can have the hope of all of that and carry it with you on that difficult road. If you guys would pray with me as we close, Isaac's gonna come up and lead communion. There's a time to respond. We're gonna reflect on the cross and the death of our Lord Jesus. Let this be something that you continue to reflect in, respond to the Lord, how he's calling you to respond. Is he drawing you to himself? Is he calling you to be saved today, to trust in him for the first time? Is he calling you to a decision, brothers and sisters, a decision to not try to embrace an easy life, but to continue to live a life of sacrifice for the sake of Christ? What is he calling you to do today? And respond as the, Lord, as the Lord calls you. Father, we thank you for your word today. Thank you, God, for these two roads that have been made clear to us, one of destruction and one of life, one of ease and one of great difficulty. But what can compare to knowing you, Lord? What can, what can compare to eternal life, forgiveness, righteousness given to sinners who do not deserve it. Lord, by your mercy and your grace, would you speak to hearts today? Speak to that one or the few that have resisted and rejected and turned away and draw them into yourself, Lord to be saved finally and to be set free. Holy Spirit, would you do the work? I cannot do it. Nobody here can do it. Only you can do it. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross for us. Thank you for taking the difficult road and being the example for us of surrender and obedience to the point of death. And though you're calling, and you're calling us to all of us, die to ourselves daily to pick up our crosses and to follow you. May some enter in today. May others of us examine, are we living a way, are we walking worthy of the calling that you've called us to? Help us, Lord. Break us, Lord. Break us of our pride. Open blind eyes to see. Thank you, Jesus, for being the door, for being the shepherd, for being the gate, for laying your life down for the sheep. We thank you, Lord, for your salvation, for you to get the glory for whatever you do in this place today. As we respond, Lord, we look to you now. We pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the New City Church podcast. For more content from New City Church, check us out on any of the major podcasting platforms. Or if you want to find our gathering times, location, or any other information about New City, check out our website at www.bathnewcity.church. We hope to have you join us next episode.